Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another edition of From the Newsroom, the weekly podcast of the Holland Sentinel. I am reporter Arpan Lobo and today I'm joined as usual by our managing editor, Audra Gamble. Audra, how are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself, Arpan? I'm good. Thanks for asking. Uh, And we are back to talk mainly about the Republican National Convention, which kicked off last night. We're recording this on Tuesday. Um, We'll also start by kind of just hitting on the last few nights of the DNC but mostly we're going to focus on the RNC. But before we get to that, we're going to talk about nights two through four of the Democratic National Convention really quickly. So, Audra, you know, last week we talked about how night one of the DNC was kind of just this real, you know, kind of we're going to beat Donald Trump in November and we're going to take back the White House and we're going to take back America and all that stuff. And I kind of noted, you know, There wasn't really much policy discussion, but that changed over the last three nights. So what were some kind of the takeaways you had from the remainder of the convention? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I think part of what we talked about last week was that the DNC was a little bit of an experiment at the beginning of, okay, how is this going to work? We had to pivot, you know, the format. We're all pretty pretty much online and virtual. How is this going to go? And then once that kind of got locked in and everybody was like, okay, this is, you know, the new normal for this year in terms of political conventions. Now let's get into the, you know, the nitty gritty, the, the policy talk and all that sort of thing. So in the later days of the, the Democratic convention, you heard a lot of talk about Um, you know, dreamers and and immigration, and you heard, uh, you know, talk about health care. And, you know, there there are quite a few segments about the environment and things like that. And so it was really interesting to see sort of, you know, this this gradual policy overlay (laughs) um, done through, you know, little video snippets of average Americans who were affected by, you know, policy X or policy Y, rather than big kind of sprawling speeches from politicians that you normally get, you know, standing up at a lectern and talking for 20, 30 minutes that you normally would get at a, a, a conventional convention. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was, um, you know, different, but, you know, it was also kind of something that uh, we, we were able to kind of see because the Democrats had the, you could call it the advantage or the disadvantage of going first gave the Republicans a little bit of a playbook of, you know, kind of like, okay, what works, what doesn't work when you're doing it virtually. Sure. And so, you know, last night was night one. uh, And, you know, similar, a little bit of different setup because while the Democratic convention was supposed to be in Milwaukee, they canceled because of uh, COVID, obviously, with the whole pandemic stuff going on. And the Republicans were going to be in Charlotte, North Carolina, and they canceled their convention, so it's not like, you know, anybody was, you know, packing into convention centers and, you know, doing all that stuff. But people were still in Charlotte, you know, and that was one of the things um, 
Trump or President Trump highlighted in his speech, he goes, oh, they should have actually gone to Wisconsin. Like, we're here in Charlotte. But they, um, you know, kind of kicked off their, their convention last night. And uh, we were talking earlier before we were recording about some of the notable speeches we saw. And, you know, we brought up Tim Scott and Nikki Haley and President Trump, obviously. But, um, you know, I think we should start with uh, one of the kind of ones that kind of went viral last night. And it's uh, Kim- Kimberly Guilfoyle or, or uh, Golfoyle. I'm pretty sure it's Guilfoyle. That's how I've been saying it, so I'm going to continue to say it. Um, so we'll go with that. But uh, So Kimberly um, is the girlfriend of Donald Trump Jr., uh, one of the president's son- sons. And uh, her speech kind of took off over the Internet, um, particularly for a few, you know, kind of a – uh, I don't know if over the top is the right way to put it, but Audra, kind of what were your takeaways from uh, Kim's yeah, speech? Yeah, so for everybody that's a fan of The Office um, television show, there were quite a few comparisons on social media of Kimberly Guilfoyle's speech to a scene in The Office where one of the, the salespeople, Dwight Trout, is giving a salesman of the year speech at a um, – you know, regional convention kind of thing and is very nervous about public speaking. And so another coworker trying to uh, mess with him basically told him to study Mussolini's speeches. <laughs> and so it's, you know, a lot of like fist banging on the lectern and shouting and raising their hands. And there were a lot of um, like cut together mashups of that speech from the television show that is very clearly not appropriate for the setting of a, you know, a sales convention to Kimberly, Kimberly Guilfoyle's speech. Um, it was certainly very impassioned, that's for sure. Um, and I think, you know, it, it's sort of indicative of the tone that was set at the RNC Monday night. You know, throughout the DNC, the RNC's response was very much so, you know, the, the DNC is being too dramatic. It's they're being too doom and gloom. You know, everything's fine. You know, why is Biden being so alarmist? That was kind of their response. And then pivot to Monday night. And, you know, Kimberly Guilfoyle's speech was a representation of, but there also were other people that spoke throughout the night that very much so made it sound like, you know, the choice, the choice was between, you know, Donald Trump or mass chaos. And, you know, you kind of heard that reflected from, from you know, Nikki Haley. You heard it from, uh, you know, Donald Trump earlier in the day. And, and you saw these, these kind of themes of, you know, claiming that, that a, a president, Joe Biden, would try to dismantle, you know, doctors and try to dismantle suburbs and try to... Um, you know, get rid of, of programming that isn't necessarily an accurate reflection of what Joe Biden's policy standards have been as he put them forward. Right. That's a, that's a good uh, point you bring up, uh, you know, when you talk about like the, the, the doom and gloom or kind of like the, the uh, kind of the chasm, the two sides choices that were, were presented last night. I want to read this, this uh, direct quote from a Guilfoyle's speech. They want to destroy this company and everything that we have fought for and hold dear. They want to steal your liberty, your freedom. They want to control what you see and think and believe so that they can control how you live. That's some pretty intense stuff, um, especially for night one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there was another, um, there was a, a Democratic Congress person who 
gosh, his name is escaping me at the moment, but he, he said that there's this, you know, he was trying to say that, um, you know, the, the, that the black community is not a, a monolithic vote and that the Democrats were treating it as such. And he didn't, you know, appreciate that. And he, he pulled out this phrase and he said that, that, um, some democratic black Americans are trapped in a mental plantation, which I thought was a very, um, you know, interesting turn of phrase. And, and I'll be curious to see if, you know, you hear that again throughout the, the RNC convention, but there certainly were a lot of, um, you know, word choices that made it seem like, um, you know, the, the tone of the convention moving forward will be very much so a contrast between, um, you know, seeing Donald Trump as, as a law and order candidate, which is something, you know, that he said a lot about himself and, and seeing Joe Biden as, you know, the antithesis of that. Right. And that, that was a Georgia state representative, Vernon Jones. He's, yeah, he's, a, he's a Democrat. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, that is a, it, it is a poignant, you know, kind of a, a point. Um, uh, and that was just kind of the, you know, uh, Senator Tim Scott, who's the lone uh, black Republican senator, senator from South Carolina, he kind of, uh, during his speech, he kind of spoke about, you know, kind of his uh, his own family's kind of, uh, you know, he, he, he said that his, his, um, his, his family has gone from cotton to Congress in one lifetime because he's mentioning yeah, his... That was another turn of phrase that, that kind of caught a lot of people's ears. Right. And it's something they were trying to present... Um, the Republican Party is kind of the, you know, it's it's the traditional, you know, uh, kind of two two. Being the party of opportunity. Yeah, they they like to use words like freedom and liberty. While you hear things like justice from the the Democrats, it's sure. it's you know the the two chasms. So so that was something that we um, saw last night. Will be interesting to see going forward if that's something that maybe the the RNC kind of leans into. And, you know, you talked a little bit earlier about how, you know, the Democrats had sort of the the disadvantage of, you know, being first out of the draw kind of thing, where the, the Republicans could kind of sit back and see what worked, what didn't, and then adjust a little bit. And you saw a little bit of, of shades of that, of, you know, the, the Republicans picking up on things that played really well for the Democrats and trying to replicate that, um, you know, something that, that I thought was really cool about the, the Democratic convention is instead of having all of the delegates in a big crammed room with their, you know, crazy buttons and ribbons, they had these really cool live stream cutaways to every state that, that said, you know, we want our 17 delegates to go to, you know, whatever. Um, and so the Republicans did something similar. However, it's a little different when you're nominating an incumbent president. It's not as suspenseful. I mean, not that we didn't know that Joe Biden was going to be the nominee, you know, for the democratic party, but when the, the person is currently sitting in the office they wish to keep. It's a little bit of a different vibe. So they had this like really quick primetime roll call because they had actually done the roll call earlier in the day for real. Um, so they just like really quick kind of went through each state and you saw like, you know, a little face for, for a second, um, which was, I think, really different from how the Democrats took that roll call because they very specifically um, turned it into this sort of interesting social justice moment where a lot of the people, um, you know, yes, they had some states being represented by, you know, Congress people up for re-election, you know, Michigan's with Senator Gary Peters, who has a Republican challenger, 
But there also were states who their, um, you know, the person that, that announced their delegate votes were people that have been in the public eye for, um, you know, their their call for, for racial justice, for um, LGBTQ rights. For, for Wyoming, the parents of Matthew Shepard, um, Judy and Dennis Shepard, read out the the, the delegate counts who, um, you know, his name has, has since been attached for his, his death to um, hate crime legislation. The father of a, a child who had died in the Parkland shooting read out the, the roll call for, for Florida. You know, there were all of these kind of moments of, you know, taking that opportunity from, from the Democrats. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, how the Republicans take that, those types of moments that played really well for Democrats and either, um, you know, integrate them or not integrate them, depending on how they want those to play, you know, for, for their voters. Right. And, um, you know, I did catch a little bit of the roll call and I saw a clip of a man from Ohio was announcing the state's delegates for for President Trump, and he called him Donald John President, <laughs> and then they cut away. <laughs> I didn't catch <punch> that. <laughs> yeah, so like, you know, you feel bad. That guy. That'll be the lasting, you know, his lasting image of the RNC is calling Donald Trump Donald President, President Trump. You know, you get a mix up. It happens. I've. No, it's, you know, it's all good. We all slips of the tongue. That's for sure. You know. Uh, yeah, I I did think. You know, some some other components that I, I've already seen the RNC sort of integrate is those moments with, you know, kind of real average normal Americans rather than politicians, I think played really well, you know, in those sort of short snippets for the for the DNC. And you saw sort of a a version of that last night with the RNC where a couple of times throughout the night they showed clips of Donald Trump sitting down with um, average Americans. The the first one that I saw was um, a group of people who were doctors or nurses or, or you know people that had been involved with with COVID, and then the second one was a group of people who had been released after being held captive by other countries, you know, uh, across the world. And they were these kind of intimate little conversations. I think there were only like four or five of these people sitting with Donald Trump each time, and it was a much more kind of like cozy sort of. I mean, not quite one-on-one because there were, you know, five or six people in the room, but um, intimate moment where Donald Trump could interact with, you know, an, an, an average citizen. Yeah, it was a, you know, that that kind of uh, shot of always the politician among the people is always, you know, a pretty poignant uh, thing. It's, you know, and um, you brought up, you know, kind of the, the average everyday people um, being incorporated into the RNC. So I wanted to ask you, you know, one of the int- more interesting things that we learned before the convention was that a couple from the St. Louis area was going to speak uh, during the RNC, and their kind of rise to prominence was because during a Black Lives Matter protest earlier this summer, they got outside of their house with uh, guns um, and <laughs> kind of pointed them at protesters to pr- you know say we're protecting our property, um, and they spoke during the first night of the RNC. Did you catch that uh, speech at all? I did, yeah. I thought it was um, interesting. <laughs> I think that was one of those other speeches where the verbiage really caught my ear. You know, the the, the couple talked about how they were, they were just defending their home and they had done nothing wrong, and yet here they were having been charged with felonies for trying to protect their property. And, and you know, multiple times in that speech, they 
referenced, you know, one of the, the people that led that, that march in St. Louis and called that individual a Marxist, um, which I thought was interesting. And obviously, you know, when you start using verbiage like that, it's pretty loaded and has, you know, historical connotation and that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, I didn't necessarily notice that sort of, you know, loaded um, kind of label use last week with the DNC, um, especially from those those clips of non-politician normal Americans. So I thought that was kind of interesting. You know, I'm not sure if they, you know, if they wrote that speech, if someone did for them, you know, what, what that situation was. But I thought that was kind of one of, one of those interesting cutaways of, very carefully chosen words with with a lot of meaning behind them that I think would play very well for for kind of the core Trump voter who is already you know raring to go to the polls and, and ready and absolutely motivated to to show up in November. I'm not necessarily sure how well that sort of um, you know conversation or or clip plays for someone who is on the fence or isn't sure you know, what they're going to do come November 3rd. Well, it's interesting because one of the things that, that, you know, that was brought up was that voting for Joe Biden, if Joe Biden was to get into the White House, it would mean that the suburbs, whatever that means, as as we currently know it, would, you know, cease to exist. That was part of the messaging. Um, And President Trump, even before the RNC said, you know, uh, he, he tweeted or he, I believe he was quoted saying, you know, oh, if Joe Biden gets elected, you know, there's going to be even more minorities in the suburbs. And, um, you know, kind of, that's kind of a bit of a loaded, you know, dog whistle. I, I'm trying to dance around it, but it, it's tough to kind of, you know, use that language without it appearing racist. But when speakers like like the St. Louis couple kind of say that we were defending our home and if Joe Biden is elected, we're gonna this will be, you know, the, the reality for everybody. I, I think it could play with uh, you know, the kind of everyday suburban voter that might be worried about, you know, that might have seen the I was in Allendale on Sunday evening, um talk and there was a I guess you can call it a protest, a group calling for the removal of a controversial statue. Uh that we've pot uh, I've podcasted about this in the past, but a group calling for the removal of the statue, they were there to kind of paint the words Black Lives Matter uh, in front of the township hall in the parking lot. And that drew a lot of counter-protesters. And I spoke to one woman and she told me that she didn't want to be named. Um, but I spoke to her and she said, you know, we can't have... She she brought up Antifa, which to me was a bit of a jump from, you know, these these people... <laughs> That are, people. Yeah, sure. that are painting, you know, you know, in bright, colorful letters. But um, she told me, she goes, you know, oh, if she mentioned the kind of riot that happened in Grand Rapids where a lot of buildings and businesses were damaged. Um, she said, if that happened in Allendale, we never recover, you know. And so I think that that is a fear that a lot of, you know, suburban voters may have. But I and I think the RNC kind of playing on this is is definitely them trying to kind of appeal to that suburban voter that might still be on the fence. Right. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's perfectly understandable, you know, for someone who has, 
um, you know, worked very hard for what they have. And, you know, they see their home as, as this kind of, you know, safe haven for their family and, and want to be protective of it. I think that's fairly, you know, natural for someone to feel that about, you know, their home and their, their community and that sort of thing. Um, but it's, you know, on, on the flip side, you hear the, the phrasing from, you know, democratic activists and, and even some, you know, business owners saying, you know, buildings are buildings and we can rebuild. We care more about, you know, justice being found and, and social equity. So it's, it's just a really interesting, um, kind of, you know, I guess not visual, but, but audio. It's like a juxtaposition. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, a juxtaposition of, you know, these, these sorts of, you know, thoughts and ideas side by side, especially, you know, one week right after another on, on prime time. Right, right. And, um, you know, last night was the first night of the RNC. We've uh, three more. They're also doing a four-day run, correct? Yes. Okay. So we have three more nights. Uh, we're going to have a lot more speakers. Um, uh, are the, who, 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 Would you like to run through some of them, RP? Yeah. Who are kind of the, the you know, the A-listers that we're going to be uh, right. hearing so, from? So kind of the same deal with, with the Democrats. There's there's a lot of kind of shorter speeches in, in the, the early parts of the nights, and then they have sort of like a, a headliner, you know, kind of toward the end of the night. So um, tonight, so Tuesday night, you've got Melania Trump speaking. You also have um, Mike Pompeo, who is going to be speaking, my understanding is remotely from Israel while he's on a um, business trip, which is not super normal for that to occur. And not that the trip is abnormal, but to, to speak during a, um, you know, basically campaign event while on, you know, state business. That's not super normal. And then you have Senator Rand Paul also speaking uh, tonight. Wednesday, you have both um, Mike Pence and his wife, Karen Pence, so vice president and, and second lady. And then you also have Kellyanne Conway, who has very recently announced that she will be leaving the White House, but is still scheduled to speak. And then Thursday night is, you know, the big wrap up with, you know, the, the same kind of deal of accepting the nomination and the celebration and that sort of thing. And that night you have um, Ben Carson speaking. You also have Mitch McConnell. You have um, Alice Johnson, who was recently released from from prison um, in a kind of celebrity studded um, criminal justice reform movement. And then rounding up the evening, of course, will be President Donald Trump. Alice Johnson, that was the one that Kim Kardashian and Kanye West were involved in, correct? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so that is kind of, you know, a, a pretty, uh, uh, you know, it's got some heavyweights. I mean, that, this is the, really the time, you know, we mentioned this to that the parties try and, and galvanize uh, their base. You know, right. we mentioned that when, so when we podcast and we're podcasting after night one to kind of, you know, uh, maybe give a preview for the next few days. But, you know, we mentioned about the DNC that night one wasn't really policy-based, but it kind of grew into more policy discussion as the nights go on. What if, do you, do you think that we'll see the kind of the same thing, you know, from the RNC, you know, um, they, they did kind of present the whole, Oh, a vote for Joe Biden is a vote for anarchy or a vote for chaos. Um, you know, angle last night, but do you think we'll see more kind of, okay, we're going to hit on how well the economy was doing, before the pandemic, uh, we're going to hit on, you know, they did have, you know, an oral surgeon kind of talk about, you know, uh, the federal government's handling of the coronavirus in a positive light. Um, it is worth, you know, noting that outside of really, I mean, Spain is currently having a, a bit of a flare up in COVID-19 cases, but the U.S. is really the only uh, Western power 
currently still struggling with the pandemic like we are. But they did have someone say that, you know, the Trump and uh, the White House have done a good job with it. So, okay. Um, do we think we'll see more of that or do you think it'll be kind of a, you know, freedom and liberty fest for the next three nights? You know, that's a great question. And I think a lot of it rides on who the RNC thinks is the most important audience. And by that, I mean, you know, does the RNC want to spend the next three days, two and a half days, whatever, taking the time to solidify those voters who are already, no matter what, going to vote vote for Donald Trump and just excite them about getting to the polls in November? Or do they want to reach out to those who maybe voted for, for President Obama, but then voted for Trump and are now kind of wavering where they're going to land this year? And I think, you know, something that, that I thought was really interesting on the, the first night, Monday, is there were quite a lot of moments in which I felt like the speakers were choosing Donald Trump himself as the most important audience member, where they specifically, you know, looked straight into the camera and thanked him for the job he was doing and thanked him for, you know, specific things that they, you know, he did for them or their family or, you know, whatever issue they were talking about. Um, but not necessarily broadening that to, and this also affected this population or this also affected, you know, my community as a whole. And so it was interesting to see sort of that, you know, kind of live grappling with who is the most important group of people to sway. I think if, if the RNC chooses those who are solidly in the Trump camp and just need to energize to get to the polls, you'll see a lot more, um, speeches like Kimberly Guilfoyle's, where it's a lot of very energetic, energetic, bombastic language that you would typically see at a, at a Donald Trump rally, which he can't really hold right now. If they just, if the RNC decides that there needs to be more kind of bridge building or, or gap filling and kind of trying to, to sway those, those 2016 Trump voters to become, you know, repeat Trump voters, you may see more policy things. And, you know, something that Donald Trump spoke about on, on Monday was he, he hit pretty hard how many federal judges he has appointed. And he hit pretty hard the Supreme Court justices he appointed. That is something that will really appeal to somebody who's kind of on the fence but leans more um, socially Republican. And those issues like, um, you know, abortion or, um, you know, may, maybe campaign finance or, or more like a one or two vote. Uh, one or two issue voter may want to pay more attention to. So it'll be interesting to see what route the RNC goes as they decide which audience they want to spend most time talking to. That's a very, very good point. Uh, and I think we will wrap up on that. But before, you know, we get out of here, was there anything else maybe from last night that we didn't get to, you know, hit on? Um, you know, we, we didn't really talk about the Michigan component. <laughs> I know that we talked about that, you know, when we talked about the, the DNC. Um, you know, we talked about Gary Peters, um, his his opponent, John James. He briefly appeared. Um, the, the head of the RNC is actually from Michigan, Ron McDaniels. And, um, you know, we have heard, but not in great detail, that there will be additional Michigan involvement. So we'll, I guess, kind of wait and see where the Mitten State plays into it. Yeah. You know, I wonder if uh, we'll get a Ted Nugent cameo. 
You never know. You, you never, never know. know. <laughs> he might just show up unannounced. They might yeah. not know. You know what? He, he can do his 10 years and thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, Audra, thanks again for uh, joining me on the podcast. Uh, and I think that'll wrap us up. So until next time, I'm Arpan Lobo. That's Audra Gamble. And this has been another edition from the newsroom with the Holland Sentinel. Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.